Good evening. Welcome to my view from the rim. It's the 1st of April. It's a Thursday. This Thursday, not necessarily the date in history, but the Thursday um, going back before Easter was the day that the Lord Jesus Christ was the last full day of his ability to commune with his disciples, to be able to teach them and meet with them. It was to be a day that would end not with sleep, not even by nightfall, but by his death on the cross tomorrow on Friday. It was on the Thursday that he celebrated the Passover with his disciples and instituted what um, we, we call the Lord's Supper. Um, it's We refer to it in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the sacrament. where we partake of bread and water in memory of Christ and what he did for us as a renewal of our covenants with him. He began that meal by being the ultimate example by washing his disciples' feet. Of course, Peter, uh, as impetuous as he always was, initially did not want his feet washed by the Savior. Did not think that that uh, that washing feet was worthy of the Savior's attention. But he was giving a parable, a live parable, of how those who would lead must serve. Regardless of how lowly that service may be, Starting today, had the opportunity to go back to the temple and to serve again after many months. The baptistry of the temple has been opened now by appointment. For those who um, have work that needs to be done, I want to explain that. And so I worked in the baptistry this morning. For those who are not familiar with the baptistry and what we do in, in uh, 
within a temple. A baptistry in the temple is not a traditional uh, baptistry that you would expect to find in a church building. While baptisms are performed there, they're performed for vicariously, meaning they are done as proxy work for the dead. Where the dead are represented by live people, family members, or rather ancestors, or I'm sorry, not ancestors, descendants, who have come to the temple to be baptized on their behalf. Now, because they are not, the ancestor is not necessarily choosing to be baptized, the baptism, of course, is, is conditional on the choice of the one who has died. Agency is not surrendered at death. The ability to choose and, and what you can do, obviously, is your choices are somewhat limited when you no longer have a body or when you are at a time without your body which is why ordinances have to be done by proxy. But you can accept, the, the dead can accept or reject the baptism that is done for them. I remember one time when I was sitting at in a church meeting in California, of all places, I was at a class. Actually, I was at a... Uh, a, uh, it wasn't a class, it was a training thing that was going on for my work. And we were talking about temple work. And this one brother said, why is it that we based all of our temple work on one scripture in the Bible? Now, before I give you that scripture, and I will, I just understand that the reason that there is there is a verse that describes exactly what I'm talking about. But first, some explanation is in order. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is trying to talk to the Corinthians about the resurrection because they've kind of ceased to believe in the literal resurrection. And so Paul is giving a pretty good discourse all throughout, um, in particular when it comes to chapter 15, um, when he talks about how the fact that if the dead don't rise, um, well, in verse 16, it says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. But now is Christ picking up in 20. 
risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Boy, that sure sounds like a song out of Messiah. It is. And so Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthians, you know, yes, there is a literal resurrection. And he gets down here, and in verse 29 of chapter 15, he says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And so there you have it, a scripture, a verse, which points out that in the ancient church, they did do baptisms on behalf of those who have gone before. For God to be fair, and he is, for he truly is a just God, all of his children have to have an opportunity to accept or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that came before Christ, uh, Peter talks about those who came before, you know, who'd perished in the flood uh, for when Christ was uh, during the time after when he died and before he was resurrected, he went to visit those. But because baptism is required ordinance, how does somebody who has died without hearing the gospel, how do they receive a baptism and other ordinances that are required? Well, they receive it because it, the ordinance is done on their behalf. Again, they don't lose their agency. They can accept or reject the baptism but it is made available to them. And so the question was, why is it only mentioned one time? Well, it's only mentioned one time because it was a common practice, and Paul was attempting to explain to the Corinthians, look at what you're doing. You're doing this work, and yet you don't even believe in the resurrection. So why are you doing it? You know, Paul, as a missionary, was greatly benefited by his Pharisee training. I'm going to be attaching a little YouTube video to uh, the description for this podcast about the temples. It's uh, what the audio is, is from the old City of Joseph pageant in Nauvoo, Illinois. Uh, the song is Come to the Temple. The uh, slideshow are temples that I personally have visited. And so it was with great joy, and the time just went so fast that I was there today to be able to go back and to be able to 
help these sweet brothers and sisters who came to the temple to be able to perform this labor of love for their ancestors. It was an amazing experience. So anyway, so today for me, that was starting today. Not only was will I go to the temple when I can, but I will rededicate myself even more than I have been living my daily life to be more focused on the temple. For it truly is a house of God that every temple has it on it. It says, Holiness to the Lord, the house of the Lord. When you walk through the doors, you can feel the peace of the building. If you go with troubles, the troubles are still there perhaps, but you can know that things will be all right at some point. God's timetable is not our timetable. He sees the end and as well as the beginning. I've discussed many times just this past week about how the battle has already been won. When Christ died on the cross, when he gave up his life, The battle with Satan was over. Satan will keep fighting. He probably can't accept the fact that at some point he's going to lose. But make no, no doubt about it. He has already lost. Of course, the Savior was betrayed by one of those whom he, to whom he offered bread and wine. The Savior knew it would happen. In fact, he told him to go, told him that what he had to do to go and do it quickly. I had mentioned the book, Jesus the Christ, I think the last time. Um, Talmadge, in that book, talks about by when you compare the Gospels, that it seems that after Judas left, that probably there was a significant easing of tension in the air. 
you know, it's like when somebody who who is always angry or pessimistic is around and they're always bringing gloom and doom on everyone around them and then when they leave people notice this is sort of the same thing not that it was going to change any events but just knowing that he was gone And the Savior led them to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he brought Peter, James, and John with him close and went to pray. And they fell asleep, as did the other disciples. And in the Garden, Christ prayed to the Father. Now, in The Passion of the Christ, the movie, it's very interesting because in that movie, Satan makes an appearance in the garden. And he's sowing seeds of doubt, or trying to. How can one man take upon himself the sins of the world? How is that possible? Think about the suffering that has gone on in this world. Either just from sickness and pains and the suffering as a result of what man does to man, wars, crimes of all nature. Every one of those pains from the time Adam and Eve were thrown out of the Garden of Eden and the anguish they must have felt then. All the way up until the end of mortality uh, on this earth. All of that pain was placed upon him and suffering. Of course, that suffering of spirit and body was going to be matched in the next several hours as Christ is taken in chains to the Sanhedrin where he was illegally charged, illegally judged. He's brought before Pilate and Herod 
and Pilate scourged by the Romans, hoping to spare his life, even though many men died from scourging. But that's all tomorrow. The Savior's last opportunities to teach were for his disciples alone. And teach them he did right up until the guards came and took him into custody. Starting today, what will you do to change your life? To not do what you would do, but to submit your will to the Father. To let God's will prevail. What will you do? Whom will you help and serve? This is my view from the rim as we mark the last opportunity for Christ to teach face to face with his disciples. As we're looking very, very close to the shadow of the cross. Have a good night.